0: We're working our way this morning through the book of Revelation, and we are in a part of the book that is perhaps uh, one of the most difficult to work through, one of the most difficult to consider, and uh, one of those passages in the Bible that may give uh, people uh, a wrong view about God, either uh, in thinking that God is all judgment and wrath, or thinking that this does not apply to us, and therefore we should not think about God as being a God who also brings wrath and judgment. Somehow we're going to see how this passage is actually instructive for us today uh, for the church today. Let's uh, read God's word from Revelation chapter one, uh, from Revelation chapter 16, verse one. Here's God's word. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, And it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, And you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch the people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and of the mouth of the false prophet. Three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs to go abroad to the kings of the whole world. To assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold. I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done! And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake. The great city was split into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away. And no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for our hearts. Would you bow with me in prayer? Ask the Lord to bless the preaching and the hearing of this word for our hearts. Let's pray. Father in heaven, We thank you for revealing your word to us. We thank you that in your word you give us cautions and warnings. And you give us instruction for knowing how you will bring this world to an end. Father, give us hearts to hear. Give us eyes to see. Father, we pray that we might be instructed by your truth in a way that would lead us to worship you and you alone. In the name of Christ we pray for his glory and honor. Amen. Revelation 16. If you've been with us for the last several months, you might notice that these last judgments that we just read about um, are quite similar and have quite a bit of repetition with previous judgments in the previous sets of, of seven judgments that we have seen earlier in the book of Revelation. This is a third set of seven judgments. Two other sets went before. And here, as we approach this final set of seven judgments, we see repetitions like the the plague of fire, or the plague of hail, or the plague of earthquake, or the plague of darkness. But this time, their intensity is covering the entire earth. If you were with us a few months ago, when we went through the first two set of judgments, the first set of seven judgments covered only a fourth of the earth. They affected only one-fourth. When the second set of seven judgments came about, we saw that the, those judgments increased in intensity. They covered a third of the earth. Now when we get to the final set, the third set of seven judgments, their coverage, their impact is no longer limited by a fraction. It is described as covering the entire earth. In other words, there will be no place on this earth where people will be able to run away from the calamities that God will bring against the earth. No place to be uh, a refuge to hide from the coming wrath of God. Now, the book of Revelation is also filled with Old Testament imagery. And these last seven judgments in particular take up the pattern of the plagues that God brought against Egypt in the book of Exodus. Pharaoh was the first major king described in the Bible that opposed God and his people in a very powerful and in a very oppressive way. Yet, in the book of Exodus, God brought judgment against Egypt and against Pharaoh. Well, that event in the book of Exodus has become a pattern. That God is using now in the book of Revelation to describe a much greater devastation that God will bring, not against Egypt, but against another kingdom. And that kingdom is the kingdom of the beast that has found its dwelling and its residence on the earth. It is noteworthy that the first five bowls of these seven bowls of judgment, the first five are significantly shorter than the last two. And, and the middle of the third one, in the, in the five, in the first five, the, after the third, there's a little bit of a, of a break, a praise song coming out of heaven. Actually, there's two parts to it. So we will look at the first five bowls because they're so short. We're, to look at, we're going to look at them together. And then the sixth bowl and the seventh bowl, we'll look at them separately. If you like taking notes... We will look at these seven bowls of judgment by considering three major points about God's judgments. And these points are the following. God's judgments target the beast's kingdom. God's judgments target the beast's kingdom. Second, God's judgments call God's people to stay awake. God's judgments... Call God's people to stay awake. And finally, God's judgments bring the end. God's judgments bring the end. As we look at these three points or three major principles that we see behind these seven judgments, let's ask the Lord to see how he wants to use this for our own hearts. These judgments and the revelation of these judgments are for our instruction. These are not just instructions for the generation that will experience them whenever that is about to happen. These judgments are for our instruction even today. They certainly were for the instruction of God's people in the very first century as well. So let's look at these three points. God's judgments target the beast's kingdom. As we look at the details of the final seven judgments against the earth, Notice what is the target of these judgments. It's clear on one side that this cha- and this chapter makes it very clear that the judgments come against the people of the earth. Did you notice that in verse in the first uh, in the first judgment the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people. But it doesn't stop there. The verse 2 gives us a little more nuance and a little more qualification of who are the people of the earth who will be the target of these judgments. It's the people who have worshipped the image of the beast and who belong to the beast's kingdom. Did you see that again in verse 2? Harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Now this is a very important detail for us. Because in the book of Revelation, we see visions of the world as made up of only two camps. Those who belong to God and worship Him. And those who belong to the beast and worship the beast. Revelation helps us see that there is a cosmic conflict between God, between Christ, and the devil, and his beast, between the lamb and the dragon. And the dragon uses pressure, threats, and enticements, signs of power, enticements of benefits, to lead the people of the earth To worship someone else rather than the creator, than the God who made us. And bearing bearing the mark of the beast identifies the people of the earth with belonging to the beast. Bearing the mark of the beast is not about a microchip. It's about a way of life and a way of thinking which shows that we are following something other than God. It's a way of thinking and a way of living that shows that we are following someone other than God. That is the mark of the beast. It's important to realize that these seven last judgments are presented not primarily for those outside the church, but for those inside the church. The seven churches of Revelation revealed how Five of the seven churches have taken the path of compromising with the Greco-Roman culture of their day in the first century. Some of the churches did not think it makes much of a difference if they were weak in loving one another well. Others did not think it was a big deal to tolerate false teaching. Others were not thinking it's a big deal to tolerate sexual immorality. Others were careless about obeying God's commands. And others didn't think it much to pride themselves in their affluence. These were five of the churches uh, mentioned in Revelation. Revelation reveals that these churches uh, were not aware of what is at stake in compromising with a world that has been ruled uh, as of recent times since Since Christ has thrown the devil out of heaven, these churches are not realizing that the world they live in is ruled by the dragon and it's filled with enticements to compromise. And these seven judgments are written to instruct God's people how the kingdom of the beast, to which many of these churches have been enticed to compromise with, how the kingdom of the beast will come to an end. Even if, in the present time, the kingdom of the beast seems to be more powerful. And it seems to be more advantageous to live in step with the kingdom of the beast. The fifth bowl shows that God's judgments come against the beast's throne and kingdom. But the kingdom of the beast is made up of people. The people of the earth who follow the beast. Look at verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness, and people gnawed their tongues in anguish. In other words, the effect of the darkness that God throws upon the kingdom of the beast is that the people of the kingdom experience suffering and great pain. This suggests that the kingdom of the beast is made up of the people who follow the beast, the people of the earth. The kingdom of the beast is on the earth. That's why the judgments of God in these final seven judgments are poured out against the whole earth. So when God pours out his judgment on the beast's throne and on his kingdom, it is the people of the beast who are affected. Friends, this means that the judgments that we read about in this chapter describe and should be understood not only as judgments against the earth an earth that is neutral and good and it would be fair for the earth to still keep on being unaffected oh no these judgments come against an earth that has become the home operation of the dragon's kingdom it has become the headquarters It has become the battleground where the dragon is manifesting his reign. These judgments must be understood against an earth that has been giving itself to worship the beast and to follow the beast. And God is bringing his judgments first and foremost against the beast, then against his reign, and then against his kingdom, which is made up of the people who follow it. This shows Believers who might be tempted to compromise with the beast. These judgments show believers who is truly more powerful in the end. If the beast has any foothold into the lives of the people of God now, or if the beast seems to have more power over the people of God now, whether it's through false promises and compromises or through the threat of of death, this chapter shows us and shows believers how utterly foolish it is to align oneself with a beast's kingdom. It is a kingdom doomed for destruction, and these judgments give us the graphic picture of how that destruction is about to come. The second and third bowls of judgment have something in common. When the angels of these bowls pour out the bowls of judgment, the waters turn into blood. This was one of the first signs that God did against Egypt when Pharaoh was met by Moses. Look at verses 3 and 4. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea. It became like blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water. And they became blood. In other words, all the sources of water are turned into blood. What does this mean and why would God do this? Well, the answer is provided for us in verses 5 and 6. An angel, particularly the angel responsible with the waters. That means in God's kingdom, he has his agents, his angels who are giving charge over various aspects of the earth. And this time, the angel who was in charge of the waters comes and declares. And here's what he declares. Why is God doing this? Why is God turning all the sources of water into blood? Look at verses 5 and 6. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments. Why? It says, For they shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And this suggests that God's last judgments includes the retribution that God executes for all the wrongdoing that the nations have carried out against God's people. God's vengeance. Vengeance will be measureless because the sin of God of the nations against God's people has been measureless. So here we have this picture of not only rivers, but also the seas all have turned into blood. And after this angelic announcement confirms that, that this is what the people of the earth deserve, there's another confirmation coming from the altar. Look at verse 7. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. It's amazing that the altar would be speaking here. It's uncertain whether truly it's the altar speaking or just a voice coming from the altar speaking. It is very possible that this picture and this answer, the voice coming from the altar, reminds us of Revelation 6.10, when John saw the souls of the martyrs. Those who have been slain because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And they have called out from beneath the altar. And they said in Revelation 6, How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? It is very possible that in Revelation 6, 6, 16, we finally see God's answer. He sends out the angels to pour out His wrath on the earth. And to turn the water into blood as a means of showing that God will give his oppressors blood to drink Because they have shed the blood of God's people. So verses 5 through 7 show us that God is just in carrying out his judgments. That these judgments is what the nations of the earth deserve. Because they have acted wickedly. And oppressively against God's people. But then the fourth bowl comes. Look at verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. And he was allowed to scorch people with fire. It's amazing that one of the promises that God makes to his people um, in Isaiah. And also in the book of Revelation. Is that God will redeem his people in such a way when His redemption will be fully made manifest, that the sun will not scorch them any longer. It's one of the promises. It's one of the things that the people of God have experienced in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, when they have experienced the dryness of the wilderness, the scorching of the sun, and God promises them, when He will redeem them at the end of the age, it will be such for them that, The wilderness will be transformed into a a garden like the Garden of Eden, and the sun will not scorch them any longer. But here, the exact opposite is being told about the people of the nations, about the judgment of God. The sun will scorch the people of the beast with such intensity as it bringing upon them fire and burning But notice the response of the people of the kingdom of the beast. To these judgments, notice what they do. They do not repent. We see twice in the first five bowls of judgments how the people of the earth respond to God's judgments. In verse 9, they were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. And a similar response is brought out after the fifth bowl of judgment. Look at verses 10 and 11. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. The people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. God is using nature itself to show the people of the earth that the reign of the beast is not turning well for them. Yet their suffering is not causing them to see their vulnerability. They get only more stubborn against God. They cursed the God of heaven. And it's interesting that John describes here Whom they cursed. Not just God. But the God of heaven. In other words. Here is the death of the human depravity. Facing the power of God against them. Facing the power of God. That that shows how vulnerable the earth is. And how vulnerable they are before the power of God. And yet these people refuse to surrender. Worse they think they can oppose God by cursing Him. Friends, this is a corruption of our nature. And how deeply corrupted our nature is to make us think that by opposing God, that somehow we will be in the right. How foolish of the people of the earth to continue to oppose God even after such great manifestations of His power. Instead of bowing down in retreat and submission against an opposing force that seems to to be invincible, instead of opposing, instead of bowing down in submission, they, the earth dwellers, have the audacity to think that they still have a chance against God by cursing him. That's why they're cursing him. They think that their words against God have more power against God. How foolish. Friends, to our human nature, it is easier to oppose God than to humble ourselves before Him. Friends, the only way to escape the wrath of God is by turning to God. The ideal response from humanity would have been to repent and give God glory. That's why twice in these two cha- in th- at the end of these two bowls, bowls five, 4 and 5, what's brought out is that they failed to repent. And notice this connection between repentance and giving glory to God. It's not only that they failed to repent, but they failed to repent and give God glory. Friends, true repentance leads us to turn away from seeking our own glory and it turns us From keeping God at a distance and instead it turns us to make us reorient our lives toward God in such a way that we begin glorifying Him and living our lives in a way that brings God glory. Friends, true repentance leads us to worship something else than ourselves or than anything else in creation. To worship God. Repentance and worship in, these, in this chapter is tied together as the ideal response that God desires from the nations of the earth. What does it mean to repent? It means to change the direction of our lives. To turn away from what we have pursued selfishly, And self dependently upon ourselves, thinking that we know it best, doing what we want to do, living life according to our own standard of truth. Repentance means turning away from that, turning away from breaking God's commands, turning away from ignoring God, and turning to the Lord. The only way we can do that, dear friends, is by trusting in Jesus Christ, who came on earth to live the perfect life, to live the truth, to be the truth. And yet he was crucified on a cross, even though he was perfect, had no sin of his own. But God made him a curse and placed on him the penalty that all of us deserve And God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day. Jesus is alive. Jesus is reigning with God in heaven. And Jesus will come again. And all those who turn away from their sin and rest rest in Christ, rely on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, on His death and on His resurrection, are transformed in their inner being in such a way that their hearts desire to repent. And to turn to the Lord and to live a life that pleases the Lord and glorifies God. Well, friends, if you have never turned to God in repentance and faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you. I want to plead with you today. Turn to God by repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ to be the sole means of making you right with God. If you would like to know more about what that means, I would love to talk to you at the end of the service. Or I would encourage you to talk to someone else, to another Christian in the church and ask him or her to tell you what that means. So friends, turn to the Lord through repentance and trust in Christ.